This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. I'm here with Allison today, and we're going to talk to you about prenuptial agreements and whether or not you should have a prenuptial agreement, and if you do, how much does it cost generally, and what are the disclosures that are required in the test to determine if the prenups are going to be valid. Prenuptial agreements are still alive and well in the state of Michigan, although they've been somewhat diluted to the extent that the court does retain equitable power to make some modifications, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But um, the test really of what the court looks for is out of a case known uh, by the name of Renvelt, and um, the court there looks to several factors. The factors that the court is looking at to determine whether or not we have a valid prenuptial agreement is whether or not there was full disclosure uh, would be one of the factors. And that full disclosure can include uh, health disclosures as well as financial disclosures. And uh, the party needs to look through them. The party needs to be aware of all the finances. The statements need to be pulled and each party needs to know what they're giving up uh, as part of the uh, prenuptial agreement. The other factors include uh, that there was no fraud, duress, mistake, or misrepresentation at the time of the entering of the prenuptial agreement. It can also uh, include whether or not it was unconscionable when it was signed. For instance, if it's just uh, just on its face completely unfair, that would be uh, what would be addressed by that factor. And then finally, if there are facts and circumstances that have changed since the entry into the prenuptial agreement that could justify modifying that prenuptial agreement. Allison brings up uh, key points in terms of the uh, disclosures, and it's paramount that the disclosures occur and that you see all of those disclosures and that you have an opportunity for appraisals to occur if you're going to do that. And generally in prenuptial agreements, we see them with individuals who have wealth. And you are trying to preserve that wealth, the premarital amount of the wealth that you're bringing into the marriage. And so you just can't go out and spend a couple thousand dollars to try to preserve millions of dollars. So a really well-written and appropriately drafted prenuptial agreement is not something that's inexpensive. And so you have to take into consideration what it is that you're trying to protect and the value of that and not just put together uh, an agreement that just is a couple of pages that doesn't uh, have any weight when the divorce, if, if in the event the divorce occurs, because prenuptial agreements are drafted for divorce purposes and for uh, death purposes. But uh, the disclosures are paramount and then in terms of when did you sign the agreement? Did you sign it close to the wedding? Uh, we have one judge here in town who wants to know if the when the wedding invitations went out. Did the prenuptial agreement get signed before or after the wedding invitations went out? Because one could argue 
that you're forcing someone into signing the prenuptial agreement because you're holding the wedding over her head uh, because the whole family is coming in and the invitations are out in the mail and now you're forcing her to sign a prenuptial agreement uh, quickly and without appropriate disclosures. And Allison also mentioned um, medical disclosures and mental health disclosures are also important and we've seen some sloppily drafted prenuptial agreements where those types of issues are not provided and we've seen courts that have declared those to be material facts and material facts that were not disclosed to the extent that the prenuptial agreement was thrown out which then meant that the property was fair game in terms of the uh, divorce in the marital structure. The other important thing to note about prenuptial agreements is that both parties have to be represented by an attorney. If there is not an attorney on one side or the other, that could invalidate the prenuptial agreement. So I think that that's uh, a public misconception that you can just simply grab one of these agreements and have one person draft it up, have that joint attorney, quote unquote, and that both of you will be covered. But instead, uh, the reality is you both need to be represented by separate counsel. And some of these prenuptial agreements actually have what's referred to as sunset clauses, which means they're in effect for a certain period of time and say after 5, 7, 12, 20 years of marriage, then the prenuptial agreement is null and void and goes away. But generally, prenuptial agreements uh, are drafted so that the uh, separate property remains separate property and it also deals with other issues. Like the attorney's fees issue and also spousal support issues later on. Uh, we have another podcast on spousal support, and I would encourage you to listen to it. But prenuptial agreements are often used to uh, decide those issues at a time when the couple is happier or in better times uh, so that those questions are resolved when, in fact, they do end up in a divorce situation. It's also important to note that um, prenuptial agreements cannot have any impact on child-related issues. So you cannot, in your prenuptial agreement, deal with child support or parenting time or custody uh, and the like. Those are just sort of off bounds because the court ultimately has the ability to make those determinations. We also see when we have uh, pretty large assets involved, just to make sure that everyone knows what they're getting themselves into is we oftentimes will videotape the signing of the prenuptial agreement so that we have evidence of that and we walk through the questions with the parties that they understand the disclosures, they understand what they're giving up, and they also understand uh, that they're doing this of their own free will in order to keep the velocity of the agreement intact. Exactly. Uh, there's These agreements are complicated. They are complex. Uh, they definitely can provide a lot of protection, but only if they're done correctly. And there are too many uh, people who try and dabble in this arena. And uh, Thacker Slate, we're uniquely qualified because we have both the estate planning aspect covered as well as the divorce being our primary practice. So we've got uh, a, a wealth of knowledge in both areas that allows us to really uh, delve into these complex agreements and provide uh, some validity for the future for the parties. The attorney that you're using to draft the prenuptial agreement <clears throat> absolutely must consider the divorce issues as well as the death issues. And if they're only thinking of one over the other, you're going to end up with an agreement that's lopsided and not appropriate. So it's very important for you to have a divorce attorney take a look at it and have an estate planning attorney take a look at it as well.
recently, the prenuptial agreements have been diluted uh, somewhat by the recent case of uh, Allard, uh, which allows for some invasion in certain circumstances. Allard is a case in which the uh, parties divorced, or they they began their divorce, and the prenuptial agreement was found to not be invalid, but instead they were able to invade the separate assets of the other party. And the way that the court reasoned it could do that was using its equitable powers. So essentially the decision uh, was that the court does not lose its power uh, to act in equity in the event that the parties have agreed to a prenuptial agreement. So you really want to be sure that you don't have lopsided agreements, uh, both to go toward the velocity of the document and the validity of the document when you're uh, litigating it so that you see that it's not completely one-sided, which is a little bit of what happened in Allard. So uh, the court can then go in and invade those separate assets, even though you tried to carve those out because you have one party leaving with millions of dollars and you have the other party leaving a significantly long marriage with basically no dollars. So it's important to make sure that you have some sort of equitable distribution so that you're not leaving one uh, uh, spouse in complete poverty and the other person's taking all of the money. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 